0: run for the state legislature, uh, we, 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 if you recall, were in, living in a pitched culture war, which was, of course, intensified by COVID. And for a long time, it was like all we heard about, right? COVID, COVID, everywhere. I mean, keeping spare masks and travel bottles of hand sanitizer close by, getting familiarized with online uh, grocery shopping and Instacart delivery. The isolation and the anxiety, the late night tossing and turning, sort of doom scrolling, uh, all those YouTube videos about washing your groceries and stuff. Remember over one week in March, when all this sort of first blew up, I had to figure out how to do online teaching Complete with video and audio recording, I had to learn how to set up a Zoom classroom and then be responsible for all the post-production editing. In fact, I was scheduled to teach another remote online class in the fall semester of uh, 2021, or uh, excuse me, 2020, and and they the unusually they gave us the option uh, of not teaching if we weren't comfortable. I declined. This is too, it's too much work. So I, I sympathized with those elementary and secondary school teachers who had to learn to teach all over again. Right? If not with training wheels, then among those who very recently graduated from training wheels. And all this had, they had to do dressed in scuba gear and sanitized with a crop duster load full of disinfectant. Now, of course, all these safety precautions We're not universally well liked. They infuriated that part of the country that seemed adamant that no disease is too deadly a risk if the alternative is another day spent at the kitchen table trying to make sure the kids aren't playing Fortnite, or mainlining TikTok videos during the Google classroom lecture on the life cycle of the indigenous hammerhead bat. so I mean, we had anti maskers and anti vaxxers, right? What am I saying? We still have that. But after uh, a year or so of fighting about sending kids to school during a pandemic, things started to really get tense, even more tense. Many of the same parents suddenly saw a segment on cable news. On Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson or Ren Stimpy about, about an obscure law school heuristic meant to uncover systemic disparities in our culture, in the legal and uh, justice system when it comes to the issue of race. It's called critical race theory. You maybe heard of that, right? CRT. It's a way of looking at society through the lens of race and power. It it, it suggests that racism isn't just about people's attitudes, but it is somehow sort of baked into laws and systems. It's about understanding how these laws and systems can keep racial issues going, and it pushes back against the idea that racial problems can be fixed just by changing how individuals think and act. I think of it sort of like as peering through a race and power kaleidoscope Uh, to make sense of all of these societal patterns. It's not just about shifting the attitudes in people's heads, but more like sifting through all of these ingrained recipes in our laws and systems and trying to figure out how can we confront the problems of race and other inequities in our society by fixing the structures. It's it, it sort of, CRT is sort of like the savvy detective uncovering how these systems keep the wheels of racial issues continuing to churn without needing any individual to feel like a racist, right? But I, I don't want to focus on the science of conspiracy theories or the brazen you know, dishonesty of telling parents that Ms. Coleman, little Tiffany's third grade teacher, is busy indoctrinating kids and telling them about all the giant stains on our national history. I mean, some parents were, of course, furious. They were demanding parental rights, protesting at PTA meetings and making considerable noise at state capitals. They they objected to the teaching of things that we have traditionally understood as demonstrably, historically true, right? Um, These parents apparently didn't want their children being taught things that we've taught for a long time, like that the institution of slavery was a bad thing, right? I didn't think that was controversial. Or that our treatment of Native Americans was and cruel. Or that libraries stocked with books like To Kill a Mockingbird or Harry Potter would somehow warp children's minds beyond Franklin Graham's ability to repair them. <laughs> what I found so difficult to come to terms with during that time it became kind of a critical focus of my political campaign, and that was freedom. Now, just. Freedom. Of course, I mean, that's not a terribly original concept in the realm of politics, I will admit. I mean, because who's against freedom, right? Everybody loves it, but not everybody means the same thing when they're cheerleading for it, do they? See, freedom shouldn't be a, a controversial subject either, in a culture, especially that takes reflexive pride every time a nine year old fist-shakingly and in perhaps an ironic and potentially disturbing preview of their golden years and tones, it's a free country, isn't it? See, we celebrate our freedom. And yet recently, we've seen that politicians, some politicians, despite their claims of enthusiastically supporting it, often make policy decisions that, that, that contradict these declarations. I mean, the meaning of freedom varies significantly in our country, just in case you haven't been following along closely. I mean, you can see pretty marked differences between people's definition of freedom, and it appears to be primarily influenced as much by which cable news sources you get your information from. Now, thinking back on this whole thing right now, I... I guess the division over the meaning of freedom itself as a concept, it it has never really occurred to me before the pandemic. But I began to notice that when some people said freedom, it seemed to mean something like liberation from oppression or deliverance from systemic injustice. They seem to be talking about a freedom in a fashion that suggested it was about securing some sort of common good, a series of rights and benefits for for everyone, Uh, and and that these people get these rights and benefits just because they're human beings. But on the other hand, I also began to notice that other people had headed in a kind of different direction when it came to this definition. When, When these people said freedom, they were sort of lasered in on personal rights. Freedom uh, on this side of the divide seemed to mean something like, um, you can't tell me to, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, You can't tell me to wear a mask to keep other people safe. You can't tell me to keep my children, my aging parents, and my fragile uncle home during the holidays. You can't tell me to keep quiet when my kid has to go to school with people I neither approve of nor respect. You can't tell me, right? But there's a big, big difference between how both sides view freedom. I, I also noticed a divergence over another issue, and this gulf exists over which preposition most appropriately follows freedom the word freedom. Now, now you're going, what, what is he talking about? Well, see, a lot turns on the force of a couple tiny words. And if we're just being honest, the whole thing, and if we're going to continue to stay with the whole honesty thing, much of the moral and political divide in this country right now hangs on one letter. Ah, what am I talking about? Okay, let me ask you this. Should our understanding of freedom focus exclusively on freedom from? Or should it also include some outward direction, some focus on freedom for? Because the noun that follows that preposition gives us a great deal of information about the moral center of the speaker. Let me see if I can put it differently. If the noun that gives freedom from is always focused on me and my rights and my faith and my family, well, that tells me about the person, right? Because let's be honest, any morality that focuses only on the private life of individuals and not the systems that produce them is, is sort of a permission structure for selfishness. If it's only about me. Suppose we're looking at freedom through the lens of faith. In that case, it does feel like something of a stretch to imagine Jesus saying that the nature of freedom in God's eyes is being liberated from responsibility for anyone but myself and those people who I choose. Which means somehow that freedom is also a a, a way of saying that I need not bow to any authority that I do not respect. If if we're uh, talking about the freedom that comes from Christ then, well, of course, we're talking about liberation from oppression and exploitation, no question about it. But at the same time, we're not talking about freedom from having to worry about other people outside of our family and friends after they've been liberated. One of the foundational principles of both the Hebrew and the Christian scriptures centers on The liberation from oppression, but not liberation from our responsibility to the oppressed. Any faith where the dominant pronoun is I rather than we and you will inevitably produce followers whose primary object of worship is a a projection of the individual and the individual's rights. See, God created and loves individuals, no question. But God didn't create us to remain focused on our individuality. In in God's new realm, freedom doesn't just release individuals from their own private bondage, it also sets individuals and communities free for others so that all God's children can flourish. But see, all that inward focused attention exclusively focused on being freed from responsibility for anything that I don't want to have to bow down to, all of that emphasis on wrapping everything in a protective layer of bubble wrap to shield me and mine from things that I disagree with, see all of that, it started to sound less like freedom to me and more like a full court press to ensure everybody's conformity to a certain set of standards. All the moral outrage surrounding drag time story hour at the local library has always felt, to me, less about shielding children from anything dangerous than about shielding their parents from having to interact with people they don't think should exist. I mean, why does freedom in so many people's mouths appear to mean little more than freedom to feel superior to everybody who doesn't look, talk, and love like I do? But see, it's not... It's not only the freedom to feel superior, it's also the power to make sure everybody else conforms to your standards of morality. This is precisely the context that Jesus finds himself in when it comes to the pressures of living as a Jew in the Roman Empire. It's also the context Mark's readers face trying to live as Christians in that same empire 40 years later. Because the Roman Empire was doggedly suspicious of any religious or political movement that might promote anything less than full conformity to Roman superiority. See, consequently, common and uncontroversial concepts came to mean something completely new under Roman rule. The history of God's interaction with God's people, for instance, immediately brings up the issue of kings. right? In the long narrative of God and God's children, Israel wasn't supposed to have a king. God was always supposed to be their king because human rulers, God warned, would take advantage. But in, because in God's realm, the way God wanted it, it was God who protected God's people and secured their lives from threat. But in Rome... As in the long line of monarchies before and since, kings were generally concerned with establishing enough control and ensuring conformity so that people on top would get to stay on top. Rome was also famous for the Pax Romana, right? Which Western history books have consistently told us was a pretty good thing in the ancient world. And in many important ways, it it, it was a good thing. The Pax Romana did make life better in certain respects. It did build roads uh, that became uh, ultimately important trade routes, bringing in food and goods from all over the world. And the Pax Romana also offered protection against barbarian raids and, and internal rioting. Because this, of course, At the time in the first century was a dangerous world and the Pax Romana kept many people safe from foreign invasion. Of course, left unsaid uh, is that those same places had already been invaded by Rome in the first place. But in God's realm, the peace is not supplied by the people with the most arms and the strongest military. In God's realm, peace is shalom. See, unlike the Pax Romana, in God's reign, shalom has always been about ensuring the kind of justice and equity that means everyone has access to abundance. That's what real peace looks like when everybody has enough. It's not just that the people in power uh, get to call a ceasefire so they get to hang on to everything, right? In Jesus' Jerusalem, Rome is in charge, and the temple and its priests act as a religious auxiliary to Caesar. And that, of course, ensures that Caesar gets as much money and as little trouble as possible from the locals. So the temple is a really important player in all this. So when Jesus walks out of that temple, just, just verses prior to our passage from this morning, he looks up and says to the disciples, you see this big thing? It's coming down. Not one stone on this temple will be left standing on another. And then he starts talking about nation against nation, uh, kingdom rising against kingdom, earthquakes. You know, I mean, it's pretty standard apocalyptic fare here. The end of the world is coming. Jesus warns that his followers aren't going to be spared from this stuff either but that they should say whatever the Holy Spirit gives them to say in the moment of these trials. Now, right before our text, Jesus tells them that when all this stuff starts happening, psh, if, you wanna, you know, if you want an insider tip, head for the hills, he says. Why? Well, because the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, but these are signs that the Son of Man is ready to inaugurate a new reign. In other words, the world that We've occupied the, with the people in power setting up systems that feather their own nests without caring for the needs of those they've been entrusted to protect. That world is almost over. And Jesus says, you need to keep your eyes peeled for a new world. Okay, fine, but what, I mean, what world is this? What's it going to look like, and how are we going to know it when we see it? Well, we're going to recognize this new world because it looks so different from the ones that currently keep the status quo with the folks who win continuing to win. And in this new world, not only will the systems be different, the language language is going to be different. When people say peace in God's realm, we're not talking about the peace that comes at the tip of a sword or the end of an investment report. We're we're talking about the peace that comes when everybody has enough and nobody has to worry about where they'll sleep or where their next meal will come from or how they'll keep their kids safe at school. In this new world, when we talk about what it truly means to be free, we're not talking about my freedom and how to establish a limit that I'm responsible for stuff that affects me and mine only, We're talking about a freedom that liberates people from true oppression while at the same time believing that this deliverance doesn't just set us free to do what we want now that it's been accomplished, but opens up new possibilities for us to look out for one another's interests, for one another's projects and dreams, to look at those as if they were as important as our own, the world that's coming, and is even now being constructed for us and by us, the world that will free us from one, uh, free us up for one another, is almost impossible to understand in our current situation, where we assume that things are always going to be the way they are. The world Jesus tells us to keep our eyes peeled for however holds out a vision of freedom, a freedom that is for others. And that may sound like a heresy in the world we currently occupy. A freedom that is not about conformity but about giving us the liberty to deliver others that that's new but to those who always have to worry about conforming to a world that doesn't even respect them let alone care for them maybe the heresy of jesus's brand of freedom is the best news there is